0: In 1611, every minister in Virginia was required to read the Articles, Laws, and Orders to his congregation every Sunday morning, reminding them failure to attend church twice each Lord's Day was punishable in the first instance by the loss of a day's food. A second offense resulted in a whipping. A third led to six months of rowing in the colony's galleys. One seafaring man named Captain Kemble, who returned home to Boston on a Sunday after being at sea for three years, profaned the Sabbath, quote, by lewd and unseemly behavior. His crime? He publicly kissed his wife, on a Sunday, a transgression which earned him several hours of public humiliation in the stocks. In the 1600s, a man in Scotland was arrested for smiling on Sunday. Jonathan Edwards resolved never to tell a funny story in his sermons. The first train to run on Sunday was met in Glasgow by an enraged group of clergymen who told the passengers they had just purchased a ticket to hell. Erwin Lutzer tells of a pastor during the time of the Puritans. He lived in an area that had a lot of ice and snow, and one Sunday he decided it would be faster to get to church if he skated there. Well, after the service, the deacons called an emergency meeting, to decide whether it was right for a pastor to skate to church on a Sunday. After several hours meeting together, the deacons told him, quote, Yes, you can skate to church on Sundays, just as long as you don't enjoy it. (laughs) So the fourth commandment, more than the others, is either dismissed as an outdated rule or... It's followed with legalistic fervor and not much smiling. Well, we need to lean in today. We need to lean in and listen because this commandment deals with one-seventh or 14% of our time. Last weekend, commandment number three clobbered us as we were challenged to watch our lives, how we live, and to watch what comes out of our lips so we don't take God's name in vain. And we were urged to see God as weighty so that we don't take his name lightly. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 tells us that these commands that are engraved in stone are to be inscribed on our hearts so that we can impress them upon our children. And as a way to get these commandments into our heads and our hearts, we're encouraging everyone to take a bookmark or two with them. On this bookmark, we've summarized each of the Ten Commandments in two or three-word phrases, and we've been inviting people each service to quote the commands if you have them memorized. And I'm going to invite you, if you feel comfortable, to stand. If you're not comfortable standing but you have them memorized, you can say them where you are. I'm going to do it as well, so if you're comfortable standing, go ahead and do that now. Let's quote the Ten Commandments. One, God. Number two, no idols. Number three, revere his name. Number four, remember to rest. Number five, there you go. Number six, No murder. Number seven, no adultery. Number eight, no stealing. Number nine, no lying. And number 10, no coveting. Did you see here when I got kind of quiet there? I spaced out, so I I lost one of those there. So if the third commandment charges us to honor God with our words, the fourth one calls us to honor God with our time. Now, as a way for us to give our undivided attention to God and his inerrant, inspired, and authoritative word, I'm gonna invite you to stand, everyone to stand, if you're able, and we're going to read the fourth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse eight, and let me remind you that these commandments were written by the finger of God. Let's read together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You can be seated. Thanks for reading God's word together. Let's begin with some observations. Observation number one, this is the first positive commandment. The only other command that's not stated negatively is the one we'll look at next week. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. This is also the final vertical command. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six, our relationship with others. Number three, this is the longest of the Ten Commandments. According to my count, this command has 98 words. The final five commandments taken all together take up just 53 words. So God has almost twice as much to say about remembering the Sabbath than, than he does about murder and theft and adultery and lying and coveting combined. Number four, this commandment is mentioned in the Old Testament more than any other, with over 100 other references to it. It shows how important this is to God. Number five, this commandment is difficult to interpret. Perhaps, perhaps the most controversial. More has been written and debated about this commandment than perhaps any other one. I heard about a Baptist fellowship, which split into three separate groups because they had three differences of opinion about how to interpret and apply this commandment. I'm probably going to say something you're going to disagree with today. And you're thinking, don't you do that every week? (laughs) Well, I'm okay if you disagree, as long as we don't split over it. Number six, this is the only one of the Ten Commandments not quoted in the New Testament. And then finally, number seven, this command meant a lot to the Israelites. Think of a people who had been serving as slaves for how many years? 400 years in Egypt generations serving, likely not ever having a day off. Well, here's where we're headed. We'll begin with the purposes of this command. I see five of them. Then we're going to draw out some principles for how Jesus dealt with the command. We'll follow that with some parameters and we'll end with some practical ways that you and I can apply this in our world today. Here's our main idea. Let's set apart one day in seven, to stop what we're doing to remember the Lord as creator and redeemer as we look forward to the eternal rest only Christ can provide. Purpose number one, remember to rest. This is stated clearly in verse eight, remember the Sabbath day. The word remember means to recall, to mark, to set aside. In the Hebrew, the word remember is not like how we use it. We use remember as I just, well, I forgot something, I need to remember it, and then we move on. But in the Hebrew, you remember and then you change your behavior so that your life lines up with what you just were reminded of. So we're to ponder it and then practice it. So in this sense, to remember is to embrace, to own it for yourself. Incidentally, the word remember is used over 200 times in the Bible. I think it's because we have a tendency to forget and neglect. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5 is a restatement of the commandments for a new generation. Moses is preaching to a new generation some 40 years later. He's using as his text Exodus chapter 20, but he's applying. He's helping them think through the command. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 12, he says, observe the Sabbath day. The word Sabbath or Shabbat, while observed on Saturday, does not mean Saturday, or seventh, as commonly thought. The word Sabbath literally means a cessation from labor, a day to desist from exertion. Legan Duncan calls it the stop working day. The word rest means to settle down and be quiet. Hey, have you noticed how many times people answer this question? Hey, how are you? This morning. Way. I'm busy. No, no, how are you? I'm busy. No, h- how are you? Well, I'm really busy. H- how, how are you doing? I'm crazy busy. Our family's going in a hundred different directions. It's as if we need to validate our lives by letting people know how busy we are. I'm reminded of the song sung by Archibald on Veggie Tales. I'm not going to sing it. I'm busy, busy, dreadfully busy. You've got no idea what I have to do. Busy, busy, shockingly busy. Much, much too busy for you. (laughs) When people tell me why they haven't been gathering for worship, the number one reason I've heard over the years, no matter what church I've been part of, is this. We've just been so busy, Pastor. Now, let me be quick to say, I recognize COVID concerns have made this much more complicated. And I'm glad that a number of you are connecting on live stream or on cozy TV. God wants us to rest in order to be refreshed. Sabbath is designed to be a gift, not a grind. This is fleshed out a few chapters later, Exodus 23, 12. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest. The son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Ah, rest in order to be refreshed. Interestingly, according to Exodus 31, 17, God found refreshment when he rested on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. You know, God didn't need to rest because he was tired. Exodus forty twenty eight says, he neither faints nor is weary. He rested not because he was exhausted. He rested in order to enjoy what he had created. After all, at the end of creation, he exclaimed, Genesis 131, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Purpose number two, remember God's rhythm. Whatever else we think about this commandment, we can all agree a good God set up regular rhythms of work and rest, labor followed by leisure, Look at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. That phrase shall labor carries the idea of must labor. You see there's two words, labor and work. Labor refers to the general things that we do in and outside of the home to keep things going. Work is what we do for our livelihood. So we're, to, we're exhorted to exert ourselves in labor, in service, and we're to work six sevenths of our time, which is actually very generous of God. Kevin DeYoung writes this Every time and everywhere we cycle through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we are embodying the Sabbath principles introduced into the world by God Himself. God established the pattern of working and resting when he provided his people with manna to eat. Do you recall they were to collect twice as much on the sixth day so they would not work on the seventh? Exodus sixteen twenty three. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. Now, Some of us, uh, probably many of us, struggle with overwork. But it does seem that others in our country are losing their work ethic. With millions of jobs available right now, there are very few applicants. This week, Daniel Henninger, writing for the Wall Street Journal, offered this insight. I believe the pandemic accelerated a transition evident for years away from the basic concept of daily work and toward an emerging idea, so here's the emerging idea, that life is less about work and more about play. Life as a non-stop game. Now, according to recent statistics revealed by the Wall Street Journal, there are currently 8 million fewer Americans working than before the advent of COVID-19. And I know every situation's different, but employers are lamenting that people are not flocking to take these jobs because they're tired of not working. Rather, the evidence is that millions upon millions of Americans have decided they like not Working. Albert Moeller made this observation on the briefing this week. Quote, the Sabbath command only makes sense if the normal mode of human activity is work rather than rest. God calls us to be a people who are productive by doing an honest week's worth. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, for even when we are with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not, what? Eat. Eat. So we're commissioned. We're commanded to work. And I know some of you want to work and you can't for reasons. I get that. But according to Genesis 2, 15, labor is, has always been part of God's plan. Sometimes people think, well, work, that's from the curse. Uh, no. Work was given Genesis chapter 2. The curse came Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sinned. Adam was given work. To do work is from God. What happened after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, is now work involves sweat and thorns and thistles. So, as much as you might not care for your job, work itself is not part of the curse. He has placed each of us on purpose to be involved in his purposes. Now, while the Israelites were to work for six days, one day of rest was compulsory, comprehensive. It was for everyone in the household, would you observe, or your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, who is to make sure that's, how that, or that's what happens in that house? Parents. Parents are called to run point on this. They're to make sure sons and daughters know six days are for work, and one day is to be dedicated to worship. Number three, remember to revere. The purpose of remembering the Sabbath is to keep it what? Holy. That is an emphatic imperative. That's a command. The root means to separate, to set apart. It's also translated as to elevate. So God set the Sabbath apart for a high and holy purpose. One commentator offers this translation, remember the stop working day by observing its sacredness. Jen Wilkin writes, but true Sabbath rest is set apart as holy. It's intended for worship as much as for well-being. Now, according to Leviticus 23.3, God's people are to congregate one day a week to consecrate themselves. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You know, just as our checkbooks reveal our values, if you want to know what's important to you, just go back in your debit or use your app, or if you use a checkbook, just look at what you've spent money on this past month. It'll tell you what's important to you. Well, just as that reveals our values, so do our calendars we schedule those activities that are important to us. We do what we want to do. Let me say it another way. Those things that are important to us, we make sure we find time to do them. And so let's make sure our calendars reflect time for weekly corporate worship. Our model for revering on one special day is God himself. We read this in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. By the way, I could preach another sermon here, but I don't think you want two sermons today, do you? Oh, you do? Okay, let's go. The word day is found three times in verse 11. This is clear evidence against evolution. The word day in Hebrew refers to a 24-hour period. God worked his creative wonders in six literal days and he rested for one 24-hour day. There, there's the short sermon. I'll move on to this one. So the Lord blessed means to bow and show favor. From the very beginning, God shined his special favor on the Sabbath day and he calls his people to do the same. There's a fourth purpose. We're called to remember God's redemption. Uh, We don't see it as clearly in Exodus 20, but we do see it in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So God says, remember that. Remember where you were in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the sabbath day loved ones for the sake of our own souls it's good to set aside a day to focus on how god has redeemed us from the slavery of sin and if you don't take this weekly reminder of god's grace and his redemption you'll begin to think that life is all about you you'll think that you're that you'll begin to think you're entitled but when you meet and you remember your redemption you won't take his grace for granted if you unplug you will unravel and you'll become ungrateful Number five, remember to rely. When the Israelites kept the Sabbath, it was a way to rely on God to provide for their needs. So God set up the Sabbath, and he promised to take care of his people as evidenced by how he told them to double the manna the day before. He provided double the manna. He told them to collect all of that the day before the Sabbath. Listen, to take one day to rest was a trust test to take one day to rest was a trust test God showed them that they didn't have to frantically work seven days a week to provide for their own needs I like how Jen Wilkin puts it Sabbath is the deliberate cessation of any activity that might reinforce my belief in my own self-sufficiency In contrast to cultural ideas of rest marked by self-care, Sabbath rest is marked by, listen, self-denial. It reminds us that we are not God. Exodus 31 shows the Sabbath was a sign to the Israelites that they belonged to God and that he would take care of them. We read, and the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So the rainbow was a sign of promise to Noah. Circumcision, the sign to Abraham. And so the Sabbath was assigned to Moses that God would take care of his people if they learned to trust him. So by way of summary, here are the five purposes. Remember to rest. Remember God's rhythm. Remember to revere. Remember God's redemption. And then finally, remember to rely. Set apart one day in seven to stop what you're doing, to remember the Lord as creator and redeemer, As you look forward to the eternal rest only Christ provides. Now, let's look at how Jesus approached the Sabbath. We're going to draw out some principles for how he viewed the Sabbath. And I'm grateful to Pastor Ray Fowler for his insights. Number one, Jesus gathered for public worship one day a week. We see that in Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and was as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Did you catch that? It was customary for Christ to regularly gather weekly for worship. Listen, if that was a priority to Jesus, Well, it should be a priority to us. Number two, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You could make the case that Jesus intentionally healed people on the Sabbath because he did so on six different occasions, riling up the religious leaders each time. See, serving as religious traffic cops, the Pharisees enjoyed writing tickets about Sabbath breaking. But Jesus showed that doing good and doing works of mercy, well, those were to be celebrated on the Sabbath, Matthew 12, 12. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Number three, Jesus proclaimed himself as Lord of the Sabbath. So at that time, Jewish leaders followed 39 Sabbath clarifications. Each of those had multiple divisions for a total of more than 15 prohibitions things you couldn't do on the Sabbath these were man-made let me give you some examples for instance you couldn't kill a flea when it landed on your arm because you'd be guilty of hunting on the Sabbath if a man's ox fell into the ditch you could pull the ox out but if a man fell in he had to stay there you could dip your radish in salt but if you left it there too long, you were pickling it and thus working. So at one time, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through some grain fields. The disciples are hungry. They start picking the top of the grain and popping that in their mouth. The Pharisees, they're quick to condemn. They just pounce on Jesus and the disciples. Jesus points to the example of David and his companions who ate consecrated bread when they were hungry. And then he told the Pharisees in Matthew 12, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Uh, That would have got their attention. He's saying that he is greater than the temple. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's a quote from the Old Testament. They sure should have known that. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is sovereign over the Sabbath. He owns it, and he frees us to do acts of mercy for mankind as we live on mission for his glory number four jesus taught the sabbath was for our benefit mark 2 27 jesus said the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath the sabbath was never intended to be a burden but rather a blessing the sabbath was given to people out of the grace of god this day of rest was to be a time of refreshment not a restriction a delight not a duty. Unfortunately, because the religious leaders had added a bunch of man-made laws and rules and regulations, it had become burdensome. Perhaps you're asking a question. If Jesus kept all the commandments, why did he not follow the Sabbath regulations? Well, here's my answer to that. Jesus did follow the Sabbath commandment. But he purposely showed the emptiness of man-made rules and regulations. Now, let's look at some parameters. And now I'm going to wade into some controversial waters by addressing this question. When should we worship? Well, there are three main views. First view, we could call it the Saturday Sabbath view. This view is held by Seventh-day Adventists and some Seventh-day Baptists who hold that gathered worship should take place on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. Another view we could call is call it the Sunday Sabbath view. And those who follow this perspective believe Sunday has replaced the Sabbath, so its rules and regulations should still be followed, not on Saturday, but now on Sunday. That perspective was promoted by the Puritans. That's spelled out in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The third view I'm calling the weekend worship view. In this understanding, the celebration of our salvation culminates in a weekend worship service. This gathering can take place any day of the week. Acts 2.46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together, large group, and breaking bread, small group, in their homes. Well, since there's no stipulated day of worship in the New Testament, the early church voluntarily set aside Sunday as the Sunday. You can begin to see a shift take place in the Gospels. It picks up steam in the book of Acts and in the practice of the early church. Theologian B.B. B. Warfield put it like this, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and he brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection. There are a number of passages, let me just share three, that show believers gathered on Sundays. Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread. 1 Corinthians sixteen two: on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper. Revelation 1, 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Well, in a number of books in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul addresses some conflict going on between Christ followers. Those from a Jewish background were saying, no, we still need to worship on Saturday. Those primarily from a Gentile background were saying, no, we can worship any day of the week. So in Galatians 4, verse 9, Paul asks some penetrating questions Here's the question, but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? book of Galatians deals with this dilemma. Some Jewish background believers were going back into the Old Testament, living under the law again, and he answered this question in verses 10 and 11. He said, you observe days and months and seasons and years I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So Christians are under no obligation to go back to calendar feast days or the observance of Saturday Sabbath because we've been freed from the Mosaic law. In Romans chapter 14, Paul's a bit softer in his approach. He establishes principles of liberty. Now some Christ followers from a Jewish background had a hard time letting go of the Sabbath. Others worshiped on sunday paul basically tells everyone to take a chill pill well that's my translation of it he gives believers freedom to worship on any day of the week check out what he says one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike each one should be fully convinced in his own mind the one who observes the day observes it in honor to the lord We have the best of both worlds here at Edgewood. You can choose to gather on Saturday or on Sunday. So here's my take on how to take the fourth commandment. Let's preserve the Sabbath principle by setting aside Sunday or another day as the sun's day. The principle behind Sabbath remains the same. Set apart one day in seven to stop what you're doing, to remember the Lord as creator and a redeemer as you look forward to the eternal rest only Christ provides. One pastor captures it like this. For one day it moves us from life as a human doing to life as a human being. We give God one day in seven because seven Out of seven belong to him. For the Christian, every day is Sunday. In 1890, the town of Evanston, Illinois, passed a law forbidding the sale of ice cream sodas on Sunday. Well, one creative businessman got around this by selling ice cream with chocolate sauce instead of mixing it with soda water. This new dessert became so popular, people began asking for a Sunday. Now, some objected to a dessert being named after the Lord's Day, so they changed the spelling to Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E. So the next time you slurp down a Sunday, remember, this came about as a result of some people who wanted to respect the Lord's Day and others who were looking for a loophole. Well, as a way to help us enjoy our liberty Without becoming legalistic or looking for loopholes, I want us now to go back to the five purposes behind this command. And I'm going to ask some questions that will help personalize these purposes for each of us. Question number one Do you have one day a week in which you unplug in order to rest? Secondly, What one decision will you make to get your calendar back in rhythm? Number three, what disciplines, and it's going to take discipline, what disciplines will you implement in order to revere God on one specific day? Number four, who can you share your redemption story with this week? And number five, what one activity behavior will you stop doing? And what's one thing you'll start doing, begin to implement, in order to demonstrate you're ready to rely on the Lord? And let me add a question. When are you going to do that by? In preparation for this sermon, I listened to a sermon by Alistair Begg. I appreciate his preaching. I love his Scottish accent. He called his sermon on this commandment by this title, Holy Day or Holiday. Here's some additional action steps to help us make at least one day a week a holy day. Not just a holiday that we just... Do whatever we want. Number one, as you seek to tithe, that's 10%, the financial resources God entrusts to you, what about tithing the time he's entrusted to you? If the average work week more or less is 40 hours a week, take 10% of that and say, Lord, I want to serve you at least four hours hours a week. It could be a ministry of Edgewood. It could be a ministry here in the community. Can you imagine what would happen for the cause of Christ if we all did that? Number two, prepare for worship before you arrive. Most of us think this way, that weekend worship prepares us to handle the rest of the week. There's certainly elements of that that are true, but I wonder if we flip that What would happen if we treated the other six days as preparation for this time on this day? Number three, discipline yourself to gather weekly with God's people pick a service time if something happens one particular week work at worshipping on another day and time and if you're not able to gather right now engage online on a regular basis hebrews 10:25 says not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching number 4 deliberately slow the pace in your family. Some of us are so overscheduled, there's no time for rest, rejoicing, or refreshment. Number five, spend time with your neighbors on your day of rest. Number six, repent and receive the salvation rest Jesus offers. Sabbath is all about rest. And instead of being busy and working to be accepted by God, it's time to believe and rest in your acceptance by God. The promise of a temporary Sabbath rest is a picture of the eternal rest that only Christ provides. And once you repent, once you believe and receive him, you will find the rest, the rest that will satisfy your restless soul. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, incredible passage. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of of disobedience. the rest of that chapter establishes that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. There are only two ways to get to heaven. You can try to work your way in, uh, but that'll never work. Or you get in by the work of another. You and I must rest from all of our efforts to be saved by our own works because Christ and in Christ alone do we find total rest. Ultimately, we keep the fourth commandment by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. Rest. So, yes, we're busy and we're tired and we're going in a hundred different directions, but it's time to cease striving. Stop trying to measure up to God's standards and enter into the Son's Sabbath rest now. It may even help you smile. And if you're ready to repent and receive the salvation rest that Jesus freely offers you, I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. Jesus, thank you for fully keeping the commands because I haven't and I can't and frankly, I don't want to most of the time. And I've not been resting. I've certainly not been revering you. In fact, I'm restless, and I've just been living for myself, with myself at the center, feeling and living as if I'm entitled and, and that, that everything resol- revolves around me. Lord, I confess all that as self centered selfish sinfulness, and I'm ready to repent of my sins. I believe you paid the price for my sins when you died on the cross, and you showed your power by rising from the dead on the third day. I now receive you as my Savior, my Mediator, my Redeemer, my Rest, and my Lord. Jesus, come into my life and give me rest, that deep, abiding rest that satisfies my soul. And then lead me to follow you faithfully as one of your disciples from this point on until you call me home. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and did some business with God today, I'd love to chat with you after the service or you could speak to any of the other pastors. Thank you so much for gathering. We'll see you again next weekend.